why is our culture so fascinated with superheroes? I know you thought that was going to be a deeper question, didn't you? There was the dramatic pause and all that. Yeah. Uh, why do we love superheroes, the stories of superheroes, and the ideas of superheroes, and all of that so much? Uh, because it really is something that has become quite a thing in our, in our culture. I, I'm a little biased. I love superhero movies and, and all of those kinds of stories. We just saw Ant-Man and the Wasp in theaters the other day, and it was fantastic. We love, love that stuff. My favorite superhero is Batman. I love I love Batman and Batman stories, like all kinds of things, but I'm, I'm partial to a lot of those kinds of stories. Um, but it really, in our culture, is a bit of a phenomenon. I had lunch this week with a 60-year-old man wearing a Captain America t-shirt. So it's like, it's, in a sense, it's kind of you know, pervasive uh, in our culture. And why is that? Why is it that we have this, this interest or this, this fascination with superheroes? I think... I think at least part of the reason is because the superhero story, I, I, I think it puts it, its finger on or touches an, an emotion in many of us that I think is put there by God. And it's this. It's the idea that I want my life to matter. And, 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 and there's, there, there, there's this idea that I would like to live something of an extraordinary life. We see this a lot of times come out in our own lives if you think back to when we were children and, or, or, or young adults and we, would, and we would dream about what life would be like. No, we weren't dreaming about radioactive spiders and things of that nature, but we were dreaming about a life that, 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 that on some level was measurably different than the kinds of lives that everybody else lives around us. I'm going to retire at 30, and you know, it's like you've got all these, you know, you got all these dreams, or I'm going to do this extraordinary thing, or I'm going to be the best in my, or these kind of things. I think they touch on this emotion to want to live something of an extraordinary life, a life that ripples beyond my own life, that maybe ripples into the future. But then we get older. And I just, I turned 40 last week. Um, I know, I know, I know. Right? I'm either ancient or a baby, right? Depending on who we're talking to, right? You know, uh, but as you, you get older and you think about your life and you reflect on your life. And, and sometimes, right, we can feel like, I didn't get to that extraordinary thing. Or life is just, I, I, I am living kind of the ordinary life. And that's fine, you know. Um, uh, but, that, but that touches on something in us. And I think it, it, it points to a question, is that kind of life even possible? Is it even possible to live a life that ripples into the future, that, 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 that you would describe or someone would describe as extraordinary? And spoiler alert, I think the answer is yes. And I think what we're, that's, that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at an idea that Jesus, op that Jesus introduces us to. And this idea opens the door to the kind of extraordinary life that I think many of us hope for. But it's bigger than that. And I wrestled with whether or not to make big promises uh, about what we're going to talk about, and I decided that I'm going to go for it because I think it's true. It's bigger than that. The idea that we're going to look at, that Jesus introduces to us, not only opens the door 
to an extraordinary life, but it does more than that. It has the potential to dramatically improve every relationship in your life. That's a big claim. But this, this, this truth that Jesus is going to introduce to us has the potential to not just improve, but radically improve every relationship in your life. Almost instantly. But it's bigger than that. And now I'm moving into infomercial you know, uh, the status. But it really is. I, I wrestled with, oh, do I say that? But I'm going to go ahead and say it because I think it's bigger than that. The idea that we're going to look at that Jesus introduces us to, it not only opens the door to an extraordinary life, it not only has the potential to dramatically improve every relationship, but it has the potential to turn even our country on its head in a good way. You know, we have, I don't know if, if, if you're like me, but you scroll through social media and it's like, I don't even talk, I don't even talk about politics in person with people, you know, because it just gets so dicey, right? And it's like, you know, what is, what is going on? Um, and, and, and that's really not what this conversation is about at all in any sense. But what we're going to talk about, the idea that Jesus introduces transcends all of that and has the potential to, in the best possible way, turn our country on its head. These are big claims. How in the world, how, how in the world are we going to live up to any of these kinds of promises? Well, we're going to go ahead and look at this idea, and we're going to look at it in three places in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus introduces us to this idea. And so hopefully that was enough of a setup that you're interested in what we're going to talk about. So let's, let's, let's grab your Bibles. Let's look at the first place where Jesus introduces us to, to, to this idea. So we're going to turn to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. And in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, that is, I'll tell you where it is. That's page 1102, if you've got one of the, uh, the, the seatback Bibles. Um, but something extraordinary has just happened. Jesus is with his guys, he's with his, his disciples, and they're traveling around, and they just had this conversation where Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And Peter gave this famous response. He was like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, you didn't come up with that on your own. That was given to you from above. That was given to you from my father. And then Jesus goes on to explain what's going to happen to him next as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the King, that he's headed into Jerusalem and he's going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and he's going to be crucified, he's going to die, but then God's going to raise him from the dead. And he's explaining this to them. And then he says this to them. Listen to this. This is in verse 23. And he said... To all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so Jesus Jesus makes a statement here that, that many refer to, that Jesus made several statements like this in his teaching ministry. These, these almost these paradoxical, sort of these upside-down kind of statements. And, and Jesus is making the point here that, that in our lives that gain is measured 
by loss. And so he says to his disciples, listen, I'm, I'm headed down this hard road. And if you're going to follow me, you have to walk that road too. And so you need to take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And the person who seeks, who tries to save or to hold on to their life is actually going to lose it. But the person who surrenders his life for me will find it. Now, what does it mean? What does all that really mean? Because especially when Jesus talks about follow me and, and, and take up your cross and these kind of things, and, and because sometimes these, these, these metaphors, like we get the metaphor, I get the idea of following like Jesus is walking and I'm following behind him, and if he goes to the left, I go to the left and that kind of thing. But, but what does that word picture actually teach us about in real life? What does it mean to lay down your life other than in the most literal sense, which of course uh, has been a part of church history. Uh, many have, have, have given their lives for the sake of the gospel, and many today continue to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. But for all of us, it really is bigger than that. Because here's what it means to follow Jesus. Well, it means the same thing it means to follow anybody. Here's how you follow anybody. You take your interests, your priorities and you place them aside, and you embrace the interests and the priorities of the one you're following, right? That's what it means to follow anybody. But to follow Jesus means, and this is what Jesus is talking about when he says lay down your life. He was like, you need to take your interests, your priorities, your agenda, what you're aiming at, and I want to invite you to set that aside and instead embrace my priorities, embrace my agenda, and begin to walk, begin to live in the direction that I'm going. And when we embrace the priorities of Jesus, everything changes. Because when, as, as long as we hold on to our own lives, our own way of thinking, our own way of doing things, our own dream of our, what, what, of our preferred future, what we're aiming at in terms of life, as long as we hang on to those things, we end up losing in the end. But when we let go of those things and we embrace Jesus' priorities, Jesus' agenda, and we begin to walk in his direction, that is when the door opens to us to God's big purposes in the world. And we find ourselves in the middle of a story that is bigger than us. We find ourselves in the middle of a life that is bigger than us. And this is kind of the idea. And this is kind of the big idea that we're going to be looking at in all of these passages. It's the idea, right, that a life devoted to me ultimately lets me down. That a life devoted to me, my stuff, my interests, my purpose, my dreams, my preferred future, in the end, ultimately, it lets us down. Because my glory is too small a thing to live for. And Jesus invites us into something bigger. He invites us into a me-second lifestyle. He invites us into a me-at-the-back-of-the-line lifestyle. Jesus, I'm interested in what you're interested in, and so I'm going to follow you. And as we do that, God opens the door for us to a life that is bigger than we could ever imagine. Let's look at the second place we're going to. So grab, grab, grab your Gospel of Luke and turn to chapter 22. 
We're going to look at something else. Chapter 22. Now what's going on here is at this point, Jesus is less than, about less than 24 hours away from the cross. And he's, and he's with his guys, and, and you look over the different gospel accounts and all of the things that have gone on. They've celebrated a last meal together. Excuse me, they've shared Passover together. Jesus has washed their feet, like all of these amazing things. That, this, 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 this is the night where all of these things are happening, okay? And at some point in the night, an argument breaks out. A dispute arose. Let's look at verse 24. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Who's number one? Verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So Jesus is basically saying, guys, you know how this works. We're, th- this, is, this is not a surprise to any of us. You know how power works. It works the same way now. For all of us, you scrape and claw, and elbow, and push your way to the top, and when you're at the top, you get to make the rules. And when you're at the top, everyone is there in service to you, right? I'm the boss, I make the calls, my agenda is the agenda, and and, and you're about it. And Jesus makes the statement, verse 26, but not so with you. Rather, and he flips it on its head, rather let the greatest among you Become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Sure, that's how it's always been. The one who's having dinner and someone is bringing them their food, the one at the dinner is in the greater position. That's how it always is. But then Jesus says, but I am among you as the one who serves. In other words... Jesus says to his guys, if anybody had the right to make it about me, it's me. If anybody has the right to sit back and be served, it's me. I'm Jesus, right? But Jesus says, but watch my life because that's not what I've done. The example that I set for you is I came as a servant. And sometimes we don't think about all that that means. Jesus wasn't just referring to the idea of washing feet. We're not, we're not going to, we're not going to read it uh, this morning, but you should go back at some point and you should read Philippians chapter two, because in that letter, we see this beautiful description of Jesus' life as a servant. And it's the idea that Jesus was the one who had it all and he was set. And he left heaven, he left the praises of angels, he left the the glory of the Father's side, and he came to earth and he allowed himself to be humiliated by becoming one of us. He lived a perfect life, and he served the broken, and he allowed himself to be murdered at the hands of sinners. Because Jesus didn't come to be served came to serve. And Jesus says to his followers, that is to be your attitude. It's the idea that greatness, real greatness, is measured by serving. If you want to be great, you put yourself last. 
It's this me-second attitude. I go to the back of the line. That's the idea here. And Jesus set the example. And it gives, it gives this whole, it, it flips everything on its head. It's the idea that a life devoted to me, well, it ultimately lets me down. I'm not going to find what I think I'm going to find at the end of that. A life devoted to myself ultimately lets me down. Because greatness is measured by serving. Let's look at the last statement here. Flip over to uh, Luke chapter 21. So it's just one page over. 1119 in your seatback Bibles. And this is a great, this is a great little story because again, Jesus is with his guys and they're at the temple and they're watching people go and give their offering. And maybe you've maybe you're familiar with this story if you've been around church for a while. But listen to this verse, chapter 21, verse 1. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper coins, put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And so they're sitting here watching. They're watching all of these people come and put their offering in. And, and you get wealthy people writing big checks and putting it in. And then you get this poor woman who puts in very little. And Jesus says, she gave more than everybody else. He turns this idea on his head. Because in Jesus' kingdom, generosity is measured by sacrifice. It is. Generosity is always measured by the idea of sacrifice. Because... God doesn't need our money. What he wants is our hearts. And oftentimes, where we place our money demonstrates whose we are. And it's such a big idea. And we have a hard time with this. I think sometimes as not just Americans but Westerners, I think one of the reasons we have a hard time with this is because we, 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 we tend to have the idea sometimes that if it comes to me, it's for me, that if it, if it, if it, pass, if it, if it, if it comes to me, it's for my consumption, it's for me to use. And, 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 and Jesus invites us to a different way of thinking. Jesus says, no, 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 if you want to be generous, your giving must involve sacrifice. And that's the point. Like, these, these folks, they, they, they come by and they're writing checks that they will never miss. They're giving money that they won't miss. That's Jesus' point. They've given out of their sense of abundance. They're not going to miss at all what they've put in. But this woman has given out of her need. She's given everything she has. And Jesus says that's the kind of giving that honors God because there is sacrifice involved. Now I need to put some disclaimers on everything I've just said because we're talking about money. So one thing. I'm not bringing this up to try to get you to put more money in the offering plate. And as a matter of fact, Pastor Mark said this a couple of weeks ago, I'm so grateful, we're all so grateful to get to worship and serve and do life with people who give so faithfully. We've been building out this family center and you guys are, have just been amazing in the way that you've given and supportive and keep the lights on and all of that. So thank you 
for your faithfulness. That's not really what this is about. What it is about is challenging a mindset. And so I just want to ask, I guess, a question. Have you ever given in a way that after you gave it, you would miss it? Have you ever given in a way that it kind of hurts a little bit? That's the kind of giving that honors God. One more disclaimer. This is not the idea for all of us that says, okay, I'm either going to give or feed the children. I'm either going to give or pay the rent. I'm either going to give or whatever, the, the lights are going to go off. That, that, that's not what, Jesus is not asking us to give things that we don't have, and he's not asking us to be irresponsible with our finances. He's called us to take care of all of those things. But, he, but, but he's really just making this point, and it really goes back to this me first or me second kind of attitude. It's the idea that, that real generosity, biblical generosity, is measured by sacrifice. And so have you ever given that way? Has God ever given you the joy of giving sacrificially? Because here's what you'll find. I, there are people in the room here that, 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 have, that, that give that way. And I would challenge you to find someone who gives that way and ask them about it. And here's what they'll tell you. They will tell you stories about how God took that generosity and used it in ways that blew their minds. There's like, I can't believe God let me be a part of this amazing thing. And it was when I was willing to do something that maybe was a little uncomfortable and be generous in a sacrificial kind of way. And it goes back to this idea that a life devoted to me ultimately lets me down. If everything that comes my way is for me, I think we miss out, honestly. And so this is all part of this idea that Jesus invites us to a me-second attitude, a me-second kind of life, that I go to the back of the line. And it's big. It really is. And so, so I want to try to um, wrap this together and see if I can make good on the extravagant promises that I made at the beginning of all this. Okay, so let's do this. So first... When we live a me-second kind of lifestyle, we've already talked about this, we open the door for God to use us in ways that we never could have dreamed of. Honestly, when we begin to embrace the priorities of Jesus, when we begin to treat others, to prioritize other people's needs ahead of our own, when we begin to make decisions about, uh, about generosity that involves some sacrifice, we open the door for Jesus to use us in ways that we could never imagine, when we put ourselves second. Now let's talk about relationships for a minute. And I want you to think about this idea of a me-second mindset. How would your marriage be different tomorrow if it became a submission competition? How would, your, how would your marriage be different almost immediately if each of you were racing to the back of the line to serve the other person? It would change everything. If all of a sudden it was no longer a struggle to get my needs met and what I want, and we, we went there last time, it's my turn now. No, you said, and if, if all of a sudden 
that shifted. People would ask you to write books about how to have good marriages. It would happen. How would your work relationships change? How would it change on the job for you? With your coworkers, with your boss? If every time you stepped into a meeting, you stepped in with this attitude, what can I do to help? How can I make it better? How can, in this situation, how can I loan you my gifts, my talents, my connections, my strengths, all of, all of what I bring to the table? What if I could loan that to you to accomplish what you need? How would that change the dynamic? It would change the dynamic in a big way. How, would, how, how, bi how much would your stress level go down if when you're driving to work in the morning, you just intentionally went to the right? Uh, you're right, you, you seem like you're in a hurry, you definitely need to go ahead of me. No, I'm not, you know, I'm gonna just merge this way and I'm just gonna patiently, you know. It's like your stress level would, would, would just plummet instead of it's, you know, white knuckle driving, trying to get ahead, this kind of thing. But it's this idea that, that, that if I put myself to the back of the line, that changes every relationship. How would your relationship with, with how would your Thanksgivings be different? How would your relationships with your children, with your adult children be different if you adopted a knee-second mindset? I don't always have to have the last word. You know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe I don't understand it the way you understand it. Maybe you've got a great point there. I should think about that. It would change everything. Every relationship you have would immediately get better if you adopted a me-second mindset almost overnight. Now think about our country for a minute. What would happen in our country if just the Christians if just the Christians decided to take what Jesus said seriously and put other people ahead of themselves, it would not matter who the president is. It would not matter. All those things are important. It would not matter who's in Congress and who wins elections and things of that nature. Those things are important. But in six months, our country would feel different. If just the Christians decided from here on out I'm not going to push my way to the front of the line. I'm going to go to the back. And I'm going to serve. And I'm going to be generous. And I'm going to embrace the priorities of the one that I follow. And I'm going to let go of my own stuff. It would change everything. This is such a big idea. So here's the question to walk away with. Where in your life are you tempted to put yourself first? Where in your life do you feel a sense of privilege that, that, that you deserve to go to the front of the line? All right, I'm trying to decide if I have time to tell you this story. And I'm hoping that maybe we don't have time to tell the story because it makes me look bad. And I don't want that. Uh, but uh, this, this became very real for me about a week ago. And this is so small and so petty. Oh, I just look terrible. It's fine. Uh, but we ordered, they're not up here. We use headphones in the band. Little, maybe you've seen little earbuds that we put in. They're called in-ear monitors, and they, they help us hear so we don't have the big speakers on the ground. And we ordered two, new, two brand new ones. Um, and I have a pair that I use every week. And mine work fine. But I decided that I was going to take one of the brand new 
pairs of the in-ear monitors that, that these are mine. And I felt a sense of entitlement to them. Well, I'm the leader, and I sing every week, so why shouldn't I have the new, the new ones? And they came in the mail, and, and, I, and I got them, and I opened them up, and I kind of got them set, and I'm like, oh, this is great. And then Jesus put his finger on that. And he said, why do you think that you're entitled to these? It's such a small thing. But it points to something in me, right, that has the sense of me first. So I didn't take them. Instead, I threw them in the garbage. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but, it's, but it's this idea. What, what is it for you? Where are you most tempted to go to the front of the line? Where are you most tempted to say, you know what, I, I, I work hard, I deserve, it's my right, I should have. Would you be willing to experiment, just to try out, taking what Jesus said about this seriously? And maybe for a week, would you be willing, this, maybe a week's too long, how about Monday? What if you just tried on Monday, in every interaction, I am going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm just going to test it out. I'm going to put myself at the back of the line. In my relationships, I'm going to go last. I'm going to do the job that nobody wants to do. And my wife is sitting in here listening to me. She just heard me say that, so that's going to be great. Um, I'm going to do the job nobody wants to do. I'm going to step in. I'm going to say, what does it look like for me to leverage what I have for your benefit and not the other way around? What if we just want just a day? Would you be willing to try it? Because I think if we do, if we embrace a me-second lifestyle, if we embrace the idea that a life devoted to me ultimately lets me down, we step into the bigger story that God is doing in the world, and we experience a life like we've never experienced before. I think that's true. So why don't we just try it? Deal? Great. Every, nobody said anything. Nobody said anything. No, it's fine. All right. Let's... Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for these sinners who kept quiet. Just kidding. Lord, I pray uh, for all of us. Thank you, God, that, that you didn't tell us to do something that you didn't do first. But you led the way. And you had everything. And you had every right and have every right to demand to be first. And yet, you showed up as a servant. Help us to embrace your values, and your ethics. Help us to gain through loss. Help us to achieve greatness through serving. And help us to be generous by giving sacrificially. Help us to be the kinds of people who put ourselves at the back of the line so that we can live the best life that you have for us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are amazing. Thank you for being here with us, and we will see you next week.